United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Dr. Donald N. Jensen is Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Dr. Jensen, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. So the Secretary of Defense recently visited Georgia and Ukraine. What, what, what was the purpose of those meetings? Well, uh, let me uh, make a, a broader comment first, Julie, if I mm, might, which is sure. to say that the U.S. faces some very, very dangerous uh, changes in the global environment and uh, uh, Russia-China and other things we can talk about. But Secretary Austin really made a very important trip to U.S. allies, Georgia, Romania, Ukraine, as you said, and then it wound that up at the end of the week with, an, with uh, work at the NATO ministerial in Brussels. And those were very critical meetings. He sought to uh, re, uh, restore and renew our alliance confidence on our partnership in Georgia, Ukraine, Romania. And in uh, NATO, he tried to deal with some of these issues that I mentioned, the rise of, high, uh, of global uh, high-tech warfare, number one. Number two, the rise of China as a, uh, a threat, frankly, to the U.S. US interests. And, and third, and relatedly, uh, the uh, possible partnership of Russia and China. You saw, perhaps over the weekend, there were uh, joint patrols, uh, mm. Moscow and Beijing controlled and uh, conducted, and that, that's very troubling, and we need to do something about that. And that's a central preoccupation, concern of the Biden administration. Um, on on the low tech warfare front, though, um, still a sensitive situation in Georgia, both both with their government and uh, Russian interest in that country. Absolutely, absolutely. As you saw, uh, Secretary Austin extended our uh, military cooperation and training with the Georgian armed forces, but the problem is bigger than that, which is that uh, Russia is undermining the Georgian democracy in a lot of, as they say, non-kinetic ways, which means no boom-boom. They deal with money and pressure, and that's another kind of challenge which we are trying to grapple with. So that's that's in addition to the military threat that, that Russia poses, and as you know, they occupy uh, a significant chunk of Georgian territory. They do, and it's and it's too bad. Um, Georgia seemed so promising for a while there, but uh, um, um, a difficult situation for the people who want democracy and reform. Yeah, extremely difficult. I have many friends there, uh, but it's an interesting strategic change in Russian behavior, which is that seeing that military confrontation, as they've done in Ukraine, can lead to, to nowhere, and seeing we have a military under, agreement with Georgia as I mentioned, uh, they're trying other things, and they can undermine these countries, especially fragile democracies like Georgia, in a number of ways. And that, that's what they're trying to do, playing games with the elections, corruption, uh, controlling the media. And uh, while the Georgian government uh, in some ways acts like they're independent, the influence of Russia is very malign and uh, in a lot of places. And now China is a little bit moving in as well, I should add. Wow. <clears throat> Ominous. Um, it's such a beautiful country, such wonderful people, such a great yeah, place. Terrific place, terrific mm-hmm. place. Now, what's going on in Kiev? In Kiev, uh, we have we have the stalemate in the war that's been going on for for six years, seven wow. years. Wow! And one reason there's a stalemate is that the U.S. 
uh, has and the West have provided significant military assistance to Ukraine. The Ukrainians are a big country with a pretty good army, not as good as the Russians. And Putin knows if he pushes further militarily, uh, that could backfire. So Putin, I think, is pretty satisfied at the moment with the status quo, which is what they call, it's a bad term, but they use it, frozen warfare. So when Secretary Austin talks to President Zelensky, when the U.S. government, as the administration has done recently, uh, promises robust military assistance, that really helps shore up the front against the Russians. But again, it's like Georgia, Julie, in a way, which is to say, even though the military situation is relatively at a standoff. They try to undermine Ukraine in other ways, propaganda, money, uh, take advantage of some of its, its, its weak political institutions. But Ukraine has a very active NGO uh, uh, part of society which tries to make sure uh, it stays on the course toward uh, Western integration and strengthening its democracy. And, you know, for all the problems people talk about, uh, in Ukraine, and they do it all the time here in Washington, uh, it is a democracy, mm-hmm. and it, they deserve credit for holding the line despite all the problems and the corruption and everything else that people talk about all the time. It seems to me that another great asset Ukraine has is the interest and consideration of President Biden, who as vice president made many trips there and, and took a real keen interest in what was happening in that country. Absolutely. The pre- uh, White House support makes a huge difference, and I think uh, often more than we think, being here in the U.S., uh, signs diplomatic support, meeting President Zelensky, as uh, the President Biden did a month and a half ago, is extremely important. The Ukrainian people are very uh, pro-U.S. They are very interested in NATO membership and the Europe membership in the European Union. They may not get there. We don't know. But in my own view, and this is my own view, I, they've made a turn for the West that's not going to change anytime soon. And that, of course, raises the cost to Putin uh, of anything he might try. They, they and the Russians try a lot. It's a different situation in Belarus, but Ukraine has a very, very uh, active civil society that tries to keep the government's uh, nose to the fire, as they say, to make sure the country goes in the right direction. And it does go zigzag, or two steps forward, sometimes one step back. But the support of the United States, the, the, the appearance of Secretary Austin to support their cause, as we saw last week, makes a big, big difference. Now, Romania was a bit of a curious stop for the secretary. What was he doing there? Well, Romania is an interesting place. <laughs> Romania uh, is very strongly pro-United States and, and uh, uh, cooperates with us on a number of fields. And he was, again, he was again reassuring uh, the Romanians that we support them, that we have their back. And uh, he met the president, met other uh, prominent officials. And again, the appearance of a, uh, a U.S. Secretary of Defense uh, is very, very important to reassuring the Romanians and uh, the others, Ukraine and uh, Georgia, that, that we are trying to help them. It makes a huge difference, as I said. But the broader issue, too, as well, Julie, is that the Black Sea as a security hotspot is very much increasing in salience. The Russians are militarizing it. The Russians are militarizing Crimea, which, of course, they illegally seized from from Ukraine. Uh, the Russians are building up their naval forces there, and you know they're already in Syria helping Assad. So the Russians are militarizing the Black Sea, which means that 
uh, the, uh, the Biden administration, and as seen by Austin's trip last week, we are looking at the region in an, its entirety, in a more total, uh, holistic sense, to use the word people talk about. And Romania, uh, Ukraine, and Georgia, where Austin visited, is, uh, these are key players in the broader effort to curb Russian uh, influence in the region, which is increasing, and it's a major, a major problem. And you remember, you saw over the summer the. The, the incidents with the British warship, the Russians mm. buzz uh, uh, our aircraft a lot, and and this is, and, and in that sense, the the focus of security concern has shifted from the Baltic region, which we might might have been a problem ten, say, ten years ago, a bigger problem, but still a problem, to the south and, and the southeast, and this creates a whole new set of issues. One of which, by the way, is energy. There are important pipelines going through there. There are uh, important energy producers along the uh, Caspian Sea, not far away. And so there's an energy dimension to the the problem there, and the U.S. is trying to address that. Uh, Which also involves Russia, of course. Uh, It most certainly does. Mm -hmm. The, The question is always, Julie, whether... Whether Gazprom and the Russian energy interest is, a, is an arm of the Russian state, or whether whether the Russian state is an arm of Russian energy interest, <laughs> and, uh, and you saw it with the Nord Stream two uh, debate, which is in northern Europe, you, but you see it in Ukraine too. The 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 the, the hassle now about uh, energy transit through Ukraine, and Ukraine gets money uh, uh, from that transit. The uh, concern in Europe, which is heavily dependent on Russian gas. The concern in Europe that Russia will will use uh, uh, energy as a political weapon to advance Moscow's interests, and they've done that in the past more mm-hmm. than once, and there's mm-hmm. been accusations in recent weeks that they're doing it again. And by that I mean supply, uh, gas charges. There's a lot of little levers Russia can use to advance its interests, and Putin knows better than anybody that that energy is a key weapon Russian can do can use to to project power. And that's not just pulling it out of the ground, it's transporting it through a lot of countries to consumers in Europe who then become dependent on Russian gas and thus are even more easily uh, uh, manipulable. And that's what we saw in the controversy over Nord Stream 2. Right. And it seems like it's not if, but when Russia resumes withholding energy to Europe. You would seem to a good point. That's true, and that is the question: when, not if, but when. And again, there's uh, one of the, one of the difficulties of dealing with with the Kremlin is that they they learn quickly and they're tactically very adept, and so mm. they're not as blatant as they were about it maybe 15, 20 years ago with Ukraine. But they can manipulate it in more subtle ways. They can manipulate, uh, Julie, Western political leaders. Uh, Germany is often cited through mm. corruption and other benefits to get these Western leaders to give Russia uh, access to energy markets in Germany or France or Italy in ways that benefit uh, the terms of trade that, that, that benefit the Kremlin. And they do that. It's just more subtle than it used to be. Dr. Donald N. Jensen, Director for Russia and Strategic Stability at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Great to talk to you. My pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.